Each spring, CMC hosts its annual Maximum Man Conference. This two-day, men-only event is designed to equip, empower, and encourage men. Now, enjoy this message from Lead Pastor Tim Brooks. I'm boiling with excitement and with anticipation about this weekend because of just where we are in this country and the mindset. And it, 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 every, Mike and I were just talking about it back here. All of us are dealing with it. Uh, all of us are dealing with it. It, it, it. Whether you're a school teacher and in your classroom or in your workplace or in your, in your own family, your own kids or your relatives or your kids' friends. I mean, all, it's not like this is some weird deal that's way out here in the left field. Every single one of us deal with this on, on a regular basis. Uh, so w- w- this is an important topic that we're, we're talking about. Uh, and, and we've talked a lot about this over the years, but, but it doesn't matter what there's not an example that doesn't hold true. The reason for this was here before this was here. We didn't create this and then go, what could we do with that? Let's pray about it and try to figure out what we can... God, what is that for? People needed to hold a microphone without using their hands, and so that was built to fulfill a need. The need was here before this was ever built. And so it was built for a particular purpose and a need. This microphone, we didn't build it and then try to decide what we're going to do with it. Anything, there's not, there's not an exception to this rule. We, this tire, the need for this was here. And what we had wasn't getting the job done. That thing weighs a ton, I'm telling you. We didn't. What could, look out, look out, good golly, I hope a thing didn't go, I set it up, watch out. Yeah, but we didn't build this and then try to decide what we're going to do with it. We, are, are you following me? The, the chair you're sitting in, we didn't build, now what could we do with this? There is a need and then there is a creation to fulfill a need and you will never find any exception to that rule, any Thing that you anything that is built, the need for it was here before it was built. Are you following that? Genesis chapter one, God creates all that is here. God creates all that is here, and then as you read, it said God saw no man to take care of business here on this earth. There was no man to tend this earth. And God saw a need, and like everything that's been created without exception, God saw a need, and then he created an X and a Y chromosome pattern, a male, to fulfill the need that he saw. And this generation, like no other generation before, for the last 6,000 years, we, we have been proud to be a man, We've been proud of our manhood. We've been proud of masculinity. We were proud of the fact that we were the provider, the protector, the leader, the teacher. We were proud to lead the church. We were proud to lead the workforce. We were proud to lead the production. 
A noise outside in the middle of the night, and the man was the first thing to hit the floor. Whatever disturbance, you saw a man hit the floor. Now, this generation, like no other before, men are giving up that role that God created a man or a male to fulfill. I want you to know there is a purpose for your masculinity. And we're in a generation that's trying to destroy and make your masculinity a negative thing. And we're big into blaming people. Who are we going to blame for this? Who do we blame for man's loss of masculinity? Well, blame the woman. Well, the women. The women, they're taking, they're taking away all the men's job. Well, the reason they're taking it away is because you're not doing it. Uh, that's the reason they're doing what they're doing is because the man's not doing it. Women are doing it because the man's not doing what... Somebody's going to have to do this. Somebody's got to handle this. And it became evident to her that you weren't. Somebody's got to get the family to church. Somebody's going to have to volunteer in church. Somebody's going to have to mow the lawn. It's going to get up so high we can't see out the windows. I mean, somebody's going to have to call a repairman. Somebody's going to have to call the roofer. Somebody, see, somebody's going to have to get the homework. Somebody's going to have to do this. So who's to blame for men's loss of masculinity? Well, here as of recent, we're going to blame our dad. Well, my dad, yeah, he left me when I was little. Well, your mother, she ran out on us. Well, the President of the United States, he's the one that stole all of our... There's a long list of who we can blame as to why 93.3% of inmates are men. We can blame a lot of... The long list. 68% of pornography users are men. 70% of treatment for substance abuse are men. There's a long list that we can make to blame for that. But as we begin this Maximum Man Conference, men, who's to blame is in the mirror for where we are and for what's going on in our personal lives. And the Bible couldn't be more clear as to why each one of us are where we are. And it's not the devil. It's not his demons. Jesus defeated the devil and he stripped the keys, his power, in the name of Jesus, he's got to be somewhere else. He's got to be somewhere else. The enemy is in you and I. The enemy, the Bible calls our enemy the old man. The Bible calls our enemy the carnal nature. The Bible calls our enemy the flesh. And that's the enemy that we as men fight. And I want you to know that you will never become who you want to be until you confront what you used to be. And too many people are getting born again. They're getting saved. They're claiming Christ. But they came to Jesus and they were insecure and they are still insecure after getting saved. They came to Jesus being led and controlled by their lust. And after they got saved, they're still led and controlled by their lust. Too, too many people came to Jesus prideful or angry or bitter or smart-mouthed or foul-mouthed or temper-driven. And they confess Jesus, but they are still governed and led by what the Bible says is the old man or the carnal nature or the flesh. And, and I want you to know you will never become who you want to be until you confront who you used to be. 
It's the enemy of the old nature within you that is keeping you from being a maximum man. And contrary to this culture's thinking, it's not the fact that your dad left you, your mom left you, your, your wife left you, or your last five wives left you. Or It's not the economy, it's not your boss, it's not the color of your skin, it's not the height, it's not the size of your ears. It's the old carnal nature in here that wants to pull us off track. And as a man, we fight that thing all, you fight your flesh all the time. You fight your, your, your carnal thoughts all the time. And this conference purpose is to help us whip these thoughts that are, that are, that are minimizing our manhood. The direction of this conference is overcoming who you were before you were saved. Overcoming that flesh-led life. Because you will never become who you want to be until you confront who you used to be. And when you got saved, we still have an old nature, an old sinful nature. And I'm telling you, before you were saved, what was your problem? Before you were saved, what was your temptation? Before you were saved, what area did that flesh try to sidetrack you in? Let me tell you, from just for me personally, a, a, a drunk driver in a barred car with a prostitute, hit my dad, my sister, my brother, and me in a head-on collision. I was the oldest of the three kids, and I was six when that happened. And that took an unbearable toll on our family as six, seven, eight, and a nine-year-old growing up in a very formative time in my life when I was forming values and decisions and worldviews, and I saw what an alcoholic driver did to a family for that period of time. And because of that, I despise alcohol. I despise it on New Year's Day, on Valentine's Day, on Fourth of July, on Memorial Day, on Labor Day. On, uh, uh, we all, uh, every day is a special day. I only drink on special days. But every day is a holiday. Every day is a special. I despise alcohol. I despise. A, 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 I've never had one drop of alcohol on my lip. Not one, and I despise it. I have been raised in a family of alcoholics. I saw what alcoholism does to families, to homes, to marriages, to businesses, to finances. And, and in the times of my life, when I was the furthest away from God, I didn't want to be in a room where there was alcohol. No temptation for me. But a real hot temper. Real hot temper. My impatience has just about killed me my whole life. It's, I, I've never had anything given to me fast enough. Just never have. I, I've never been pleased with how fast it happened. My impatience, my hot temper, my smart mouth. I mean, at a drop of a hat, I can... My smart mouth is unreal. You can't believe how quick I am. Here's what I'm telling you. I, I don't, I'm not here to talk about what your problem is. Here's what I'm telling you. All of us have got one. So, boy, you've never done this. And you pat your back, you've never done that. It don't matter what it is. See, yours isn't mine. Mine's not yours. You're the one you're sitting. But here's what. All of us have something in our flesh that gets us. 
All of us have something in our old nature that wants to destroy the man that God needs us to be. We all do. We, we all do. We, we all have one or two or three just areas that want to get you. And it minimizes who we are. It minimizes the man that God created you to be. Now, whatever that area is for you, the Burger King commercial that's taught this generation, programmed our thinking, have it your way. Have it your way will destroy you. Having it your way will destroy you. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, let me tell you about your way. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Now, this is written to the church at Rome. This isn't written to a bunch of heathens on the street. This is written to Christians. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature. See, this is the Christian. This is the one that's in church. And he's saying, you are a Christian. You guys in the church at Rome, if you are still dominated by the sinful nature, you think about the sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit... They think about the things that please the Spirit. So as a Christian, you can think two ways. You can think after the Spirit, or you can still, you can let your old sinful nature control you. Now here's what you need to know. Letting your sinful nature control you leads to death. Let me tell you what having it your way will get you. It'll get you a lot of hell. Some of you know all about it. I did it my way. I did it my way and I got in jail. I did it my way and I got divorced. I did it my way and lost every dime that I had. I did it my way. You know what doing it your own way will produce. The sinful nature, look what it says in verse 7, is always hostile to God. It never did please God. It never will please God. Flip back over to chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they've got no excuse for not knowing God. Yeah, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him Thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desires. The worst position you can ever be is for you to reject the obvious ever-present God and to have it your way to do it your own way reject God do it your own way and have God abandon you to your own fleshly desires that's a place you never want to go that's a place you never want to be Because there, have it your way, have it your way. There is a way that seems right, but the end leads to death. And I got it. You you agree with this sermon, but you're justified in your anger 
See, because, Tim, let me tell you what happened to me. See, amen, amen, but, Tim, I live in bitterness because of what happened to me. See, I'm justified in my unforgiveness. See, I'm justified. Tim, let me tell you, my wife wasn't meeting my needs. She refused to meet my needs. So, see, my boss wasn't paying me what I'm worth, and I didn't steal from him. I took what he owed me. See, I took what I had coming to me. So, and in your case, you're, you're good. You're good because you can justify your own sin. Men, God has reserved a seat for you. God has a plan for your masculinity. Even in your lost state, even in your mistakes, even in your sin, God created you for a purpose. On purpose, God needs you. Let's go, what I want to show you is in Mark chapter 4. I mean Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I want you to turn there and look at this story with me. Mark chapter 5 verse 2. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, he was often, and he snapped the chains from his wrists, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus had already said to the evil spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. And Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirit begged him again, again, not to send him to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. Jesus gave permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down the steep hillside to the lake and drowned into the water. Look down through here. The crowd gathered around Jesus. They saw the man. He was sitting there. He's fully clothed. He's perfectly sane. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Verse 19. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and begin to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. God delivers you. God's not calling you off somewhere. You're on an assignment, men. Acts chapter 17 tells us that you didn't choose the time you were going to be born You didn't choose the boundaries of your habitation. Why weren't you born in 1800? Why weren't you born in 2100? Why why were you born in this time? And why weren't you born in Africa or over in Europe or in Brazil? Why, Why are you here in America? Why are you in Arkansas or in Texas or in Missouri or Louisiana? Why are you where you... See, God determines the time you're going to be born, and the boundaries of your habitation because there is a work in your home and in the communities around your home. To do that, you have to whip what is inside of you. If you want to know who you are, watch who you hang with. If you want to know who you are, watch where do you feel comfortable 
Boy, I hear all the time, and it's, it's always funny to me, Tim, I'm just not comfortable in church. Tim, I'm not comfortable around all of those people. Oh, Tim, the size of y'all's building, oh, that's way too big. And all those people, that makes me nervous. It's amazing because I see them at a gun show in a building that's four times this big with ten times this many people in it. It's old. I, just, I, get, I get around crowds and I just get nervous. I can't come to church. It's amazing they go to a football game with 70,000 people in the stands. See, it's not the people. It's the people in church that you're not comfortable with. It's the spirit in the church that you're not comfortable with. You're comfortable with the spirit in the gun show, but don't tell me, oh, it's just those crowds. Don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. See, see, it's the spirit of the people at the gun show versus the spirit of the people that are in church. I want you to look at Mark chapter 5, verse 2. This man was not at home. He was not in his town. He wasn't comfortable there. He was in the cemetery. He was among the burial caves. Verse 3 and 4. He could not be controlled. He was out of control. See, what was on the inside of him was controlling him. I don't know what's on the inside of desire for alcohol or desire for another woman or desire for money or desire for... What's on the inside of him was controlling him. And men, you've met Jesus. You met Jesus. Uh, The devil is defeated. But, it, but it's not the devil that's controlling you. You're now controlled by the old nature. Your lust, your greed, your anger, your temper, your desire for pornography, your desire for alcohol or drugs or, or, or whatever it is. In verse 4, often you, you've been bound. Often you went to church for a while or you got married. Or, uh, okay, I, I've got to quit doing this. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have me some kids. I'm going to get to church. But see, the, you broke free. See, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. See, you left your wife, left the kids. See, bro, see, you were bound for a little while, but then I got to get out of here. Bound for a little while, and got you a job, and kind of got life going. I got to, see, what's inside of you is breaking the bonds, breaking the control. See, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. And so, so you break free of the marriage, and the kids, and the job, and the responsibilities. The question is, how many people have gotten hurt by loving you? How many of your kids will need someone to counsel them? How many of your wives will need prayer and support? See, a man that cannot rule his own spirit is like a city without walls. Verse 5, this man at night, by himself, crying, hating himself. He, he didn't want to be who he had become. And, and he's cutting himself. And How many of you say, I've been right there. I didn't want to be who I had become. I've been right there. I, 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 I did not want to be who I had become. And, and many of us find I've, I've been right there. I know what that feeling is like. I, what am I doing here? This is not me. And, and I hated who I had become. But deliverance begins by identifying where you are and, and deciding to make a difference. Mark 5, 5, day and night among the tombs, he's crying and cutting himself with sharp stones. Men, but we, take, we talk a lot about pride and how awful it is. And, and pride is, is wrong. It's, it's bad. But I'm not talking about pride. Here's what I want to tell you. A good self-image is very important. I'm not talking about pride. 
But for you to see yourself in a good light, for you to see yourself in a good self-image, I'm a man, I'm a provider, I'm a protector, I'm a home, I'm a, I'm a volunteer, I'm a giver. See, for you to see yourself in a positive light is very important because God says we are to love our neighbor how? We are to love our neighbor how? As, see, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, how can you love your neighbor if you hate yourself? If you hate who you are, you don't like who you are, you disagree with the God who created you who you are, you're not even sure what gender you're supposed to be, you hate who you have become, you had not got a chance of loving your neighbor. You, you can't pull that off. You don't love yourself who God made when he made you. Here's a key for those who are married. If you want to know how you think about yourself, watch how you treat your wife. Because she is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. So if you want to know really how you think of yourself, listen to how you talk to your wife. Listen to how you treat your wife. You know, if you're tearing yourself up and cutting yourself, then you're hurting all of those around you. The truth is, here in Mark 5, this was a good man. He was just controlled by bad spirit. And let me tell you something, guys. You can't drink that out. You can't party that out. Some of you've tried. Some of you tried to do that. It, it, there's so much in this one man. When he, when he cast out, took a whole herd of pigs. To contain it. Chapter 5 verse 18. This is very interesting. Very interesting. Verse 18. When, when Jesus turns this guy's life around. In verse 18. This man wants to go with Jesus. Now look at this. And Jesus said no. Men. If all Jesus wanted to do. Was get you saved and get you to heaven. He would kill people the day he saved them. He didn't save you to get you to heaven. He saved you, verse 19, so you can go back home. He saved you. Now, praise God, yes, don't write me a letter. We're all going, thank God we're going to heaven. Okay, I believe in heaven and I believe we're going to heaven. But he didn't save you so that you could go to heaven. He saved you so you could go back home. Because that's why he created you. And that is where your input has got to be. No, no, no. You, you don't walk around here with me. You go home. You go back home. He went back home. And it said he went to those regions. And at that time, regions weren't a thousand miles away. They were just walking distance. They were over there. And then there was a little group over here. And then there was a little gathering. He went to the regions right there. See, Jesus saves you. Now turn your air, your home your church, your community, up and down your roads. See, when you come into the room, when you walk into the room, your wife and your children should feel safe. When you walk into the room, they should feel protected. Your wife should not want you to go away at, from home at night because she's scared without you there. Is your wife scared when you come home? Or is she scared 
when you're not there. See, what kind of man are you? See, a man brings strength and emotional stability by his presence. Jesus gets your life straightened out. And then he says, now, you go back home. You, you, you turn that back. to See, to be in control of your own life then allows you now to go back and be in control of your home, your family, your finances, your kids. you got to get control of you first. You can't be the leader of your home when you're not the leader of you. Men, your kids won't do what you say when you don't do what you say. What's controlling you? See, the maximum man is in complete control of his life. Men tell me all the time, well, Tim, I'm okay until she comes in and she pushes my buttons. And when she says, then I, okay, so then you're not in control. See, Tim, I'm okay until my friend, he opens that case and he brings it out. Okay, so, so you're not in control. You're not okay. See, the maximum man is in control of himself in every situation, in every set of circumstances. Jesus saves you. Now we've got to turn our affection, our heart, Toward home. Let me ask you just some questions. Is your mother blessed by all you're doing? Is your wife blessed and proud of the fact that she chose you? Are you living in such a way that your wife would marry you all again if given the choice? Are you living in such a way that your kids are blessed to have you as a dad? Are you living in such a way that your grandkids are blessed to have you? As a grandfather, are you living in such a way that your church is tremendously blessed by you being a member of it? Men, as a man, there are things in life that a man is to handle. Now, in God's creation, let me tell you what would have been very easy to do. A woman has two fallopian tubes, and it would have been very easy for one fallopian tube to produce an egg and the other fallopian tube to produce a sperm. And both egg and the sperm drop into the uterine cavity, and she self-fertilizes. And then she births the children, she raises the children, she gets the homework, she gets them dressed, she imparts to them, she teaches them, she disciplines them, she trains them, she educates them, she drives them, she goes to their ball games, she supports them, she goes to church, she volunteers and helps in the church, she is a financial giver to the church, and we never, ever, ever have need of a man. That's the way it could have happened. Except God looked around and said, I don't see a man. I don't see a man. I, I never cease to be amazed at how non-involved men allow themselves to become. In church, in the home, in the family, in the lives of their children. I, I just non-involved. Men, I, I, still in bed when the wife leaves for work. Because they're waiting on this fall, they're going to go to school. Or they're waiting on someone to call them. Well, they're going to start this. They hadn't decided what they're going to do. Men, you're the provider. If you ask a woman to marry you, then you take on the responsibilities. And if you decide to go back to school, then you decide how to go to school and how to work and how to pay all the bills. See, but you, you took on a responsibility. Men, you're the provider. And it, it shocks me. 
when men assume no responsibility for the mannish things that God created a man to do. And it's no wonder our boys are growing up wimps because they never saw a dad be anything but a wimp. And so we are raising wimpy boys because we've got wimpy men and this begins a cycle and that's where we are and that's why this conference is what it's all about because the men in here are going to break that cycle. You didn't have a strong father figure, but you're going to be one. You didn't have a strong grandfather in your life, but you're going to be one. See, you didn't have a strong male. See, your nursery keeper was a woman. Your kindergarten teacher was a woman. Your first grade teacher was a woman. Your mom was a woman. Your grandmother was a woman. Everybody around you was a woman. You didn't have a man, but you're going to be a man for the boys in your neighborhood. And if you don't have any children, then you'll get a football game out in the street in the middle of the afternoon when you come home from work. All the neighborhood boys will come out and you will teach them how to play tackle instead of touch. (laughs) Men, when you get home, your work begins. And I'm shocked at how men go to work and then just unplug. They, they, They unplug from the responsibilities of what God saw when he said, I got to create a man. And, and more than just you doing it, I'm just telling you what it does for your wife to see you doing it. What it does for your children to see you doing it. I, I'm telling you, I don't know how many women have told me, my husband is useless around the house. I don't know how many women have told me that over the years. My husband is pretty much useless. Wow. Useless? Useless? Now, I'm not talking about how much money you make. I'm not talking about you're the president or you're the CEO or you're... I'm not talking about how you just continue to get promotions or... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about around the house. Women tell me my husband is pretty much use. I'm not asking you how you see yourself at the house. How does your wife see you? Does your wife and kids see you as pretty much useless? Let me tell you something. I got two nine-year-old grandkids. Got a five-year-old grandkid. Got a 12-year-old grandkid. I'm going to tell you something about a nine-year-old boy. He don't care if you make $10,000 a day. He wants you to throw the ball with him. Money is no object to him. How new the truck is we're riding in at nine years old don't make a dime bit of difference to him. He wants to play ball. He wants somebody to go and climb in a tree. He wants to build a tree house. Let me tell you, what is important to our kids and our wives and our community, we're missing out on because we work for a living. I'm just... Are you directing the thinking of your family? Just driving down the road in the car. When I've got my wife, I've got my kids, I've got my grandkids in the car with me. Here's a new business going in right here. Kids, let me just ask you a question. What will make that business a success? What will cause that business to go under? Five, six, nine, twelve-year-old in the car. What will cause that business to be a success? What will cause it to go under? Let's talk about that. We're just driving down the road. 
to y'all, we're not putting headphones on. We're not, you're not watching a DVD in the car with me. That won't happen. We're going to be in the car. We're going to be talking about why that business will work or why it won't. Who's got an idea? Who wants to go first? Start talking. Why it'll work, why it won't. Here, let me, let me tell y'all something, kids. Jesus gave us the answer. You see, you want to be great? Be a servant. If that business will serve people, if it'll serve people better than all the competition around here, if it will serve, see, it'll be the greatest business. So, so we talk about business. If you're riding with me, we're not watching cartoons. We're talking about businesses succeeding and failing if you're in a car with me. See, what are we talking about? Biblical principles. So we're driving down the road. This the other road, driving up the road. Hey, guys, look out here. And I just, I just caught it. Here's a young man over here, slobby, sloppy dressed, hair, clothes, unkept. Right over there was a young man, sharp, cleaned, well-groomed. I asked, hey, kids, so those two guys, both of them go for a job interview. Both of them are interviewed for the same position. Quick, before we pass, which one's going to get the job? Then I said, let me tell you something about God. God don't care how either one of those folks are dressed. God looks on their heart. God loves both of those men. God has a plan for those men. And God looks on their heart. I want you to know that. But let me also tell you this. God don't hire over here at the bank. God doesn't hire right over here at the construction job. God doesn't hire right down here at the convenience store. God doesn't hire. People do. Now quickly, which one of those gets the job? I'm not talking about which one's going to heaven. I'm not talking about which one God loves. God loves them both. And we're going to love them both. And we're called to help both of those people. I'm just asking you which one's going to get the job at a job interview. Well, Poppy, clearly, that guy's... Okay, babe, keep that in mind whenever a boy asks you out. Keep that in mind when a boy asks you out. What's he wearing? What's he look like? Just keep that in mind whenever a boy asks you out. Just keep that in mind. Boys, you in here, keep that in mind when you're deciding what you're going to do to your body or what, how you're going to grow your hair. Keep what we just saw right here. Keep that in mind. We're not talking about whether you're going to heaven or whether God loves you. I'm just wanting to know who's going to get the job because God don't hire at the bank. People do. See, driving the car, I'm leading the thinking of my four grandkids in that car all the time. Why are you doing that? Because I'm the man. And that's what God put me here to do. He didn't put me here to put a headphone on them and let them watch a cartoon. God put me here as a man, and I'm going to put my masculinity in to my grandkids. Men, do you help with the homework, or does your wife? Well, my dad didn't help. I'm not asking about if your dad did. I'm asking, are you? Do you impart to the kids? Do you teach them how to think? They get frustrated, and I can't get it, and they start crying. So then the wife's in there dealing with them, and they're trying to... And whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you get the homework of the kids? None of that would happen. Because, see, while I'm teaching what 2 plus 2 is, I'm also going to teach them how to control their emotions. I'm going to teach them how to think through this process. See, you're leading the thinking of your home. Are you leading the thinking of your home, of your family? Are you le- leading the thinking of your area? Who's going to break this cycle of minimal men? Of minimal men. We've got to break this. Guys, we've got to break this. The church is lacking men. The nursery, the children's church, the Sunday school. We've got an attack on manhood. I mean, it's just amazing. It is amazing. Here's what I noticed. 
It's amazing. When the wife is sick on Sunday, good husband, he stays home with the wife and kids. She's sick. But what's amazing is if she's sick on Saturday, he still goes and plays golf. I've noticed that 40 years. I guarantee if your wife is sick on Saturday, he'll go fish. But if she's sick on Sunday, well, she was sick. You know, my wife, bless her heart, boy, she's sick. We, none of us made it. But you, you, you played golf Saturday, and she was sick Saturday, too. Then she was sick Monday, and you went to work. But, boy, you stayed home Sunday. See, yeah, I'm just telling you. Uh, guys, we just got to put the shoe on. Here, here's where we are as man. Here's where we are. The last thing I want this to be is a put-down. We just got to wake up. I've been watching a lot of basketball this last month. A lot of basketball. And, and I watch <clears throat> at halftime, and they interview what you got to do, what you got to do, and the coach, we got, we got to stop that one guy that's scoring all the points. We're not rebounding. We're, and so the coach goes into the locker room, and does he make everybody feel good about what they're doing right? You ever been in the locker room with a coach? Let me tell you, he is screaming in your face about the one thing you're doing wrong. And if we don't stop that guy that's scoring all the points, what are you not doing? You're not rebounding. The whole halftime is screaming at you about not getting the offense or, or the defense or both ends of the... We're not rebounding. And the whole time screaming at you, well, well, well I, I dribbled good. I passed good. <laughs> you hurt my feelings. No, he's screaming at you about the one thing you're weak in. And that's how you go out and win a game. Men, we're going to have to get tough enough to hear our weak area and then go out there and do something about that one area that's causing us to lose the game. You're losing not because you dribble good, pass good, not because you run the play. You're losing because of one reason you're not rebounding. And that's the whole reason we're behind right now. Now let's change that one problem and let's go out there and win the game. And that's what's got to happen for Christian men. But we're so weenified, if anybody starts jumping on us, we feel put down. Well, that was just a negative. You hurt my feelings. Come on. We got to identify the one area that's causing us to be behind in and get that one area and go out here in this next half and do something about it. Men, this isn't a put down. This is just a halftime talk for us to see. And we just scatter shot with examples. But I'm praying that every one of you have heard one area see that we're missing. God created you an X and a Y. God created you an X and a Y. And he put you here for a purpose. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you've heard me teach any time at all, you've heard me talk about this. Because this right here so impact my personal life. 2 Samuel chapter 11. This, when I read this, I don't know, 30 plus years ago, this right here changed my whole life. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war... David sent Joab the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after 
his midday nap. What? What time is this? You drive down the street at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, see a bunch of guys sitting on the porch. I was like, what time is this? Right in the middle of a work day. Where are kings? This is the time when kings are out at war. Well, where is King David? At home, taking a nap. David gets out of his bed and walks on the roof of his palace. He looks out over the city. Notice a woman, unusual beauty, taking a bath. Who's that? Bathsheba. Go get her. Y'all know the story. Not only did David sin with Bathsheba, then he had her husband killed, then the cover-up, and you watch David's life unravel from that point forward. And men, that right there was a game-changer for me. That was a game-changer for me. Because I had been in a lot of situations that I was not strong enough to say no to. I was in situations that I didn't handle like I wish I would have handled them. And when I read that, I saw my problem. My problem wasn't my lack of strength in handling that situation. My problem was I should have never been in that situation to begin with. And there is what, when you are at home, when you should be at work, and you see the neighbor's wife out on her deck without any clothes on, let me tell you, you should have been at work. This was a game changer in my life. A game changer. When I saw that, how do great men unravel? Verse 1. It all starts when you're not where you're supposed to be. And here's a real key for me. When you start every single morning reading your word, when you drive to work listening to a Sunday morning sermon on podcast, when work is over, you go right straight home and you start working around the house and you start playing with the kids and you start imparting to the kids and you help with the homework. And then when all winds down, you tuck your kids in bed and you go in and you kneel down by the bed and you pull their covers up over and you, as the dad, as the husband, as the man, you say prayers with your kids as you tuck them into bed. And Wednesday night you're in church and Friday night you're with your wife and your kids and your godly friends friends entertaining your family and Saturday you're with godly friends and other men from the church and y'all are doing things together people that you're accountable for and Sunday morning you're in church and Sunday night you're at connect group and Monday you go straight see when you are where you will never have a Bathsheba in your life but you watch you don't go straight home you hang around the job hang around with some of your co-workers Hang around with one of the ladies at church at work. Stop off at so-and-so on your way home. Start missing all of Wednesday nights and start missing just a couple of Sunday mornings here and there. And don't be involved in other things that the church is doing. And start having lunch with a female co-worker and start talking to her about how your wife isn't meeting your needs. And men, here's what I'm telling you. A crisis don't ever just happen. It, you don't ever just mess up. Alcohol, drugs, affairs, a lot of marriage, stealing, cheating, I mean, whatever it is, you don't ever just do that. It, all, it always is a result of not being where you should have been in the first place. 
And you'll never become who you want to be until you confront what you used to be. And to be a maximum man, the most important thing you can do is always be where you're supposed to be. Am I tired on Wednesday? I'm as tired as anybody else. I don't want to go to church on Wednesday night. Am I too tired? Do I want to read my Bible? I never want to do that. Do I? See, but you are where you are supposed to be. You are doing what you are supposed to be doing, and you'll never have a Bathsheba in your life. For me as a pastor, the two biggest downfalls of pastors, nationwide, worldwide, the two off-the-chart biggest downfalls of pastors are affairs and money problems. And those are the two biggest. I understand. Oh, pastor, you w- I'm just telling you, if I recognize that is the two biggest, then here's the deal. We got four people, four men that count the money. They all sign that they counted the money. Then it goes to a secretary's office in a safe, and they sign that goes to the money. And then that deposit that we make has got to line up with her signature, four people's signature. I don't see it. I don't touch it. And I'm telling you the truth. I have no idea what the combination of the safe is. I don't know it, and nor do I ever want to know it. Money problem's not going to get me. I want to be the biggest giver in this church, not the one that stole the money from the church. Damn, pastor, you would. I'm just telling you, I see that as a downfall, so I'm not ever going to be that as an opportunity. That will never happen for me. Women are a problem for pastors worldwide. I never counsel a woman with a closed door. I never, not ever, not one time ever do I have lunch by myself with a woman. I travel and I speak a whole lot. My wife always goes with me. See, I understand my area of weakness. So I am going to set up impossible fences around myself to keep that from ever happening. And men, until you confront who you used to be, then you will never become who you want to be. Pornography is a big problem for some men. Then move your computer in the living room. Oh, it's noisy. Kids are running around. The TV's on. It's the price you pay for a fence of protection around you. It's a price you pay. My computer screen faces the door that's always open. And anybody walks down the hall, they will, oh, I'll never close the door and turn the computer on. That will never happen to me. See, to be a maximum man, you've got to identify these areas that are keeping you from being a maximum man. Oh, Tim, I can't believe you would do that. I tell you, the flesh will get you. The areas of the flesh will get you. And what you do is you build fences around to make it physically impossible for a Bathsheba to happen in your life. Men, we've got to fulfill what God needed done on earth and he created men to do that when God created an X and a Y chromosome pattern he saw a need there is a huge hole in the home in the family in the community and in the church and you won't hear this anywhere out in the world but the world needs your masculinity you won't hear this being taught on TV The world needs your masculinity. God saw this world without it, and he said, we need it here. You are God's answer. 
You are God's answer. Your masculinity, your manhood is God's answer. When men are maximum men in their personal life and in their home, the crime rate is over. Why do we have crime? Because men aren't maximum men. Why do we have crime? Because they didn't have a dad who was a maximum man that kept them from that. Crime rate is over. When we've got men that are maximum men, the high school dropout rate is over. When we've got men that are maximum men, the unwed pregnancy is over. See, all of the, look at the crisis that America is in, and they are stopped by a maximum man. They're stopped. See, God, who sees the beginning from the end, he saw all of these crises and said, oh my goodness, this isn't good. I got to have a man here and a man living a maximum man life. We don't have a crime rate. See, a man living a maximum man life, we don't have a, an exploding welfare rate. See, we don't have an out-of-control pornography industry. We, we don't have kitty porn industry see when we oh god says oh no he saw oh no i can just see god oh no i got to create a man i got to create an x and a y chromosome to keep this from happening to stop this to police this to guard against this to train this out of our young people mention a crisis mention a crisis in our nation and a maximum man could solve that. A maximum man could have prevented that. Maximum men would have never allowed that to happen. See, God created an X and a Y chromosome pattern. And he wrapped all of the qualities of your manhood around that. And the bottom line is, God's plan takes a man. And God's plan won't work without one. God's plan won't work without one. God's looking for a man. God's looking for a maximum man. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. Stay connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Download the CMC app by searching Christian Ministries Church in the App Store for iOS and Android. For more information about CMC and upcoming events, go to cmchurch.com.